This is prime time for retail and fashion. The holidays are fast approaching, and despite the pandemic, consumers are still spending. The question is, can merchants deliver given the unprecedented global supply chain tangle that's seen factories shut down in Vietnam, ships backed up at ports, and containers stacked sky high in the U.S. and stuck on the wrong side of the world? Today, we're going to hear what it all means for Santa and one of retail's top players. Welcome to WWD Voices, where we share the latest fashion, apparel, and retail industry insights. Welcome to WWD Voices. I'm Arthur Zagowitz, and I'm joined here with co-host Evan Clark. Today, as part of the Retail's Responsible Reset series, uh, which is sponsored by Accenture, we'll be speaking with Dennis Malay, who's the Chief Supply Chain Officer at Macy's. He's going to help us understand just what's happening in this business of moving stuff around the world and how it all gets straightened out. Dennis, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. So, Dennis, everything seems to be kind of a mess with the supply chain, uh, which for everyone listening is just kind of shorthand for the complicated web of businesses that produce raw materials, turn them into consumer goods, and ship them around the world to consumers. But Dennis, you have the pulse of the supply chain. What's the, what's the view on the ground? What's happening now? And is Santa going to make his way to 34th Street this year? Well, the first thing I would say is Santa is definitely going to make it to 34th Street and he will be on time. Uh, so starting with that, um, but, you know, uh, supply chain being a mess, I think, is, is probably the most accurate description you could give to it uh, right now today with everything that's going on. Um, you know, the, the, the problem that we're having right now has actually been formulating for, you know, since December, November of last year. Um, and if you think about, you know, kind of the integrated supply chain with what's happening overseas, um, you know, you've got, you've got ports shutting down, you've got countries shutting down. We had a backlog of, of containers coming in in February. Then the Suez Canal shuts down. Then ports shut down because of COVID. Then vendors shut down or countries shut down. All of that has created this groundswell of inventory that's moving into the United States. So that's problem number one. The second problem is, as all of that comes in, the ports don't have the labor, the capacity, the productivity to be able to unload them all. So that creates a backup that's sitting now at the port. Once they do that, you've got to move it to whatever distribution network you have. And so you get back up on the rail, you get backed up in, in transportation. And so it really just creates this intense, uh, elongation of what it takes to really move product. The flip side of it is all of well, all of that is occurring at this point. Now you have containers in the wrong countries, you have boats in the wrong ports, and it doesn't. That's not an easy problem to fix. And so, as you think about the back end side of it, of moving raw materials and getting everything to where it needs to be to produce, starts to create kind of this circular problem that we're in right now. I got to get raw materials to manufacturers so they can make it, containers to manufacturers so they can ship on a vessel over here into a port, on a rail, on a truck, into my building so I can make it available for customers. And you have to do that. I mean, you compete, you're just one company, right? So you have to think about like everybody else is trying to do the same thing, right? Yeah, exactly, right? All, all of that, uh, to your point, Arthur, all of that is a shared network, right? We don't have our own boats. Um, you know, obviously we we work with, you know, vendors and and suppliers to contract all of that, but but you're sharing all of those pipes with you know everybody else who's trying to move product as well. So how do you 
So some of those problems, you know, uh, you can't necessarily control a, a boat that's stuck off the port of Long Beach. Uh, how do you control? How, how do how do you as Macy's pull that off? How do you get how do you get the goods where they need to be, especially during this kind of crunch time at Christmas? Yeah, so I would say there's a couple things, and for us, you know, some of this is product that we're moving, and some of this is product that we're purchasing from our brand partners. We have great relationships with our brand partners. Uh, and we're working really close with them on inventory availability, um, buying things early. What do they have available? On our side, as we manage kind of all of those pieces that happen, we have a really good transportation team who's working really closely with our transportation partners. And so we've done a lot of diversification in our ports um, where we had a majority flowing into Long Beach. We've now diversified across multiple ports uh, throughout the country, even bringing more into the East Coast, which is a longer sailing time but faster to get off the boats. So we've done those types of things. We've um, increased our capacity with our carriers uh, so that we have a larger presence and that we can take more product in uh, and we can move things quicker and we have a higher degree of capacity to go move things. Um, and, then, and then within that, we've also worked with our suppliers overseas for our private label products to produce earlier, to make more product available. Um, we've done a lot of things on our sourcing side to go to multiple countries um, and so there's a really integrated plan that the team has been working on uh, really, again, since November of last year to make sure that we can keep product flowing in our supply chain uh, and make it available for customers when they want to buy it. So, you know, across really fashion and corporate America in general, agility is sort of the, uh, the big byword. That, that's really it. It's, it's being agile, making things. It, it, is that kind of what it boils down to? Yeah, you know, I think that's a I think it's a really great point, Evan. And I would tell you as a supply chain person, that's been the thing we've talked about for years in the industry is really two key components, agility, flexibility and transparency. And it all it all hits you right now today. The more flexible you are and the more ability you, you have to create options with your inventory, the faster you can move it and make it available. And to do that, you have to have the transparency of where's my inventory actually at, what stage is it in? What decisions can I make? Once it gets put on a boat, I can't change where it's going to get off because that container is now locked into a port. I have to make that decision before. But once it gets to that port, I can make different decisions on how I transport it. So basically, you haven't slept in a year. Uh, pretty much. That's, that's a fairly accurate description. Um, uh, it's been a, it has been a year of different decisions almost on a daily basis uh, and a lot of, uh, a lot of agility and, and flexibility around Okay, this happened now. What can we go do about it? So, uh, you know, it's interesting because the for really decades, the fashion industry has been building this just in supply, just in time supply chain where the idea was you wanted to have goods and just get them to the store at just the last second. So you have to so you can hold that inventory for as short a time as possible. Are we seeing the end of that? Are we are we moving to something else? Do we need a little bit more give in the system? You know, um, I don't I don't think so, Evan. I think that, you know, the just in time inventory model um, is still going to be one that, you know, everybody's focused on. Inventory productivity in fashion is, you know, the key to, to driving margin and profitability. And so I don't I don't think that you'll see that change. I do think, you know, for us, what we're trying to do is make sure that every piece of inventory that we own has some level of flexibility. And so one of the things we've done is centralize more of our inventory so that we can respond faster to customer demands wherever they occur. 
Um, and so I don't know that you're going to see the reduction of just in time. Actually, some of what's happened has caused more things to be just in time. So you've got now, um, you know, seasonal product, cold weather product that's really landing in the time when the customer wants to go buy it. And so, you know, this notion of building inventory and then flowing it out and setting up for seasons is really starting to be impacted just on how inventory is coming to you. Are you using uh, RFID or anything to kind of increase the transparency? We have, a, yeah, we have a really, we've had uh, for a long time a really big focus on RFID, and a lot of our products do come in uh, with RFID. We use it primarily in our stores right now to locate goods. Um, it's more challenging in the global supply chain when you have containers and you know large quantities of stuff you know in the same box, um, but we do use RFID pretty extensively. A lot of the flexibility and a lot of the visibility is really, I think to your point earlier, Evan, we're not doing any of this alone. And so we have a lot of partners and, and with partners requires handoffs, right? And so I have an ocean carrier who's turning it over to a rail provider who's turning it over to a trucking company and the ability to follow that all the way through so that at any point in time, I can make a decision and say, let's do this instead of that. Let's divert this product here instead of there. Um, you know, really creates that level of flexibility within the aggregate supply chain. So you just mentioned, uh, we, we've talked about ships at ports, about containers kind of in the wrong places. You mentioned trucks, you know, uh, truck having, finding truck drivers has been a challenge. There's a lot of these kind of problems that are, are bigger than any one company. But if you could wave your magic wand and fix one of them, What's the or what's you know what's caused you to lose the most sleep over over the past year? Uh, you know, it really depends on the day. Um, I would say you know today my biggest concern is just the backup of of ships out in out in Long Beach. Um, I, the last number I heard was around ninety vessels that are out there. Um, that's going to take a while to clean up, um, and that means product is stuck out there that um, you know we want to get in now. You know, we've done a lot to avoid that um, and to move around it. But that's still a big concern as I think about, you know, the global supply chain. Um, the, 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 the problem that that creates not only is just the availability of the product coming in, but, but those 500,000 containers that are stuck out there uh, anchored as well are containers that aren't available for raw material movement, aren't available for spring product, aren't available for things because, again, they're all in the wrong place. That, that's probably the biggest problem that we have to solve right now. So that's going to obviously impact the first half of next year. Yeah. You know, I, you know, my expectation, you know, with the folks that I've talked to um, would expect us to go into 2022 uh, with challenges. Um, you know, and again, you know, my, you know, our, our, our team's focus has been very much on, you know, learning what we can on what's happening today and then understanding and focusing on, how are we going to adopt, assuming that that's going to continue? We, we did a really nice job of that uh, in November, December last year, anticipating some of these situations. Um, and it's really about maintaining that level of flexibility and nimbleness. So I, I, I keep thinking about what sort of lasting changes we see from this, right? It, this is more, more than just kind of a hiccup. This has been such a major disruption. Do we see more? We've a lot of the problem has been kind of transporting goods around the world. Do we see more nearshoring, more production closer to home, more domestic? But does domestic production come back? Um, you know, I think that's a you know it's an interesting question, and we'll see how that all plays out. You know, uh, you know, in in some situations you can. Uh, that's a it's an interesting idea. 
the, the challenge is whether the capabilities exist to source those products in those countries. You know, my sourcing team, you know, we're constantly looking for, you know, opportunities to source in, in locations that are closer that that changes, you know, your ability to move product. Um, it's just really about availability. Um, we're looking at, you know, really sourcing from, you know, with vendors and producing product where we've got multi-country capabilities um, and and we can move stuff around. So if I have a, a, a factory that produces in Vietnam, but also in Cambodia and Vietnam has a problem, I can move my my production to Cambodia. And so it, it's really about looking at the national um, kind of landscape of where. Um, or the international landscape of where product can be produced at and giving yourself as much flexibility to move within that as you can. It, it Hearing you talk about it, it seems like a really kind of multifaceted problem or, or, or business in general where you're, you're looking at, like, it's, it sounds like you're looking at whole countries. You know, it's a Vietnam shut down now. Let me go over to Cambodia. How, granu- how granular is it? Are you thinking of whole countries or are you thinking of this factory or that factory? You, you really have to think about it almost at a country level, because when the country has a problem, um, that means transportation in that country has a problem. The ports in that country has a problem and movement of goods in that problem. So even if your factory is open and producing, um, if you can't move the goods, you, you, you'll still have an issue. And so we look at it at both levels. We understand what's happening at our factories. We also track what's happening in all the countries that we were producing product in. That's making me think of you as kind of like the general in the old time movie with the moving the pieces across across the board. But, you know, it, it, there's a lot of moving parts here. Right? There's political concerns. There's consumer behavior and, and consumer demand has caused a lot of this uh, problem. There's labor and environment. How, how do you how do you balance all those concerns and prioritize? You know, I'll tell you, our our priority has been pretty much singularly focused, which is making, you know, as much product available to our consumers as we possibly can and making sure that we have the capacity to be able to provide that, to ship it, to move it. Um, and so, you know, we haven't really stopped and focused on one single piece of it. Um, we've really looked at it at the whole at an aggregate level, both from a labor perspective, a transportation perspective, a sourcing perspective. Um, with the sole focus and intent on making product available for our customers. Right. So how do you, uh, sustainability is a, is a, is a big topic in, in the world generally. And I know that's an important topic at, at Macy's too. How do you, how do you specifically account for that or manage sustainability as you're thinking of getting the job done and moving these goods all around the world? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, good question. And, um, you know, one of the things I would say that I think sometimes gets missed with sustainability, sustainability is a huge, um, it's a, it's, it's a problem globally. It is definitely a very large focus of ours, uh, internally, uh, and making sure that we are doing the right things for the environment. The, the flip side of that, that I would say is also, as you think about, you know, being more sustainable means reducing waste. Uh, it remove, it means traveling less. It means, you know, all of those things, all of those have costs associated with it. And so driving sustainability also means taking waste and movement out of our network um, and out of our, our systems. And so we balance that as we make these decisions on what we're going to go do. It also, you know, for us, um, and one of the things we just um, started back uh, in September, we launched a sitelet uh, that shows sustainable product. And so being able to highlight, you know, to our consumers product that is made in a more sustainable fashion, whether that's energy consumption that it's made, responsibly produced, all of those things, you know, they're important to our consumers. And so we have a large focus on, 
producing and providing and identifying, you know, sustainable product or product that has higher degree of sustainability for our consumers. And then within our operations, you know, reducing waste, which will ultimately drive, you know, a more sustainable operation. You have a, you have a great CFO, um, but does Adrian, does he lean on you uh, through this, through this time? I mean, costs across the board and, and margins are under pressure, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Adrian and I have a great relationship. So we, we, we talk, I think almost every day um, on, you know, activities and actions that, that we're taking and the balance of that. You know, I would tell you again, our, you know, our entire company is focused on, you know, again, getting the right product available for customers and making sure that we can deliver and satisfy and support, uh, you know, what our customers want. Um, and so we make those decisions on a regular basis on, you know, how are we going to do that and what makes sense uh, for us to go do. And um, we're constantly talking through options and alternatives of how do we you know, do that. You know, it, it, the supply chain, too, and being head of the supply chain, it seems it's a job. It's big, important, but oftentimes in normal times runs a little bit under the radar where people aren't kind of, you know, desperately what's going on with the supply chain. But here we are today and the supply chain's a really big deal on earnings conference calls. You hear analysts asking everybody about it. Consumers are talking about it and going to stores and seeing empty shelves and freaking out. And, you know, so uh, what's all this attention do, though? What, what, how, how's that changed? Is just the pressure just ratcheted up or are people looking at the supply chain and thinking about it differently? Is, is our, you know, hearts and minds changing in ways? Um, you know, I, I, I was joking with my wife, you know, when you start hearing, you know, on Meet the Press, Chuck Todd talk about supply chain issues, it, it makes me nervous. Um, the one thing I would say, you know, one, um, I do think there, there are there are there have been cracks in the supply chain, you know, for a while. You think about our trucking challenges didn't just start today. Um, you know, the rail challenges didn't just start today. You know, they're, they're now they're now amplified by, you know, some of the other things that are happening on a more global basis. The benefit of the conversation is that hopefully it will help drive change at some of those things that, you know, I don't have control over, right? And that I utilize and again, share with everybody else. And if, if that happens, that will all be goodness for everybody who operates inside a supply chain. Um, and so I think that's really the benefit of, of the conversation and, and the discussion is to hopefully drive some change and innovation uh, into some of those, uh, you know, those other pieces of the supply chain um, that we all lean on that are actually important parts of our infrastructure and how product moves. It's interesting. You, you say, you know, sort of this period that we've gone through, this disruption is put a spotlight on the importance of the supply chain. So maybe it gets some respect now. Uh, you know, more so than it did in the past. <laughs> you know, the, the, the joke within supply chain is, you know, you're, 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 you're never right. You either got product where it was supposed to be or you didn't. So your only option is you did what you were supposed to do or, or you were wrong. Um, and so now at least there, there is a little bit of that, Arthur, of, uh, you know, just all the, uh, all the understanding of what has to happen to really move product. Um, but it's, it's been, it's been challenging. So the, the world feels your pain a little bit, a little bit more. The, um, you know, there's been a big push. You mentioned infrastructure just kind of generally. And that's been one of we've heard out of Washington and from politicians and President Biden of, you know, the big infrastructure push and how the United States needs to upgrade its infrastructure and modernize and all of that. Are, are we I, I, it's hard to get a feel for that as kind of a, a layman. Uh, 
how is the infrastructure? Do we have the stuff we need to do the stuff we're trying to do? Or, or do we need, you know, uh, how, how old is this machine that we're running here? You know, um, the, the political side of it is an interesting one. And so I'm going to steer clear on, on that piece of it. But, you know, I would tell you that, you know, the infrastructure is challenged. You know, like I, like I mentioned, our, our, our trucking uh, industry has been challenged in, in getting resources and maintaining labor and all those pieces. Um, we, we have done, you know, what we can to, you know, work around it and we control what we control. Um, but but there's definitely a need uh, for us to be thinking about, you know, how that supply chain comes together and what the infrastructure requirements are across the country to be able to support it. Um, we have a lot of dependency on rail and on, you know, domestic truck transportation in the U.S. That has to flow smoothly. Otherwise, you know, it drives product costs up, it drives delays, it drives, you know, all kinds of issues uh, that, you know, preferably we wouldn't want to have in the economy. I'll, uh, you know, Evan, I'll answer that question, actually, honestly, and I'll, I'll take the pressure off of Dennis. I think our infrastructure is a mess, right? I mean, we get I get on the commuter train uh, where I live, and it's um, a 60-year-old diesel train. You know, I, I think that just says it all, right? We have wonderful technologies. We have iPhones and all this, but uh, I think the, the investments haven't been made, and it's, uh, it's an ancient, crumbling uh, kind of um, – system that we have that we have to deal with so it's well overdue for some investment right all right (laughs) well you know and and that kind of it's all about perspective right and uh dennis that makes me think so you you're at macy's now which is very apparel heavy but you've also worked at ulta you worked at michael's you were a consultant what's the are everyone's is it same same but different like every are everyone's supply chain troubles the same or How's it look kind of sector to sector? You know, I, uh, so first of all, I would say the focus on all of them is the same around driving flexibility, agility, and transparency. Um, the impact of the issues are different. You know, the, the beauty industry uh, has had a little bit better ability to flow inventory uh, and keep product availability based on where it's sourced than apparel. Um, you know, the craft industry comes out of China. And so I would imagine they're having a lot of challenges in, in movement of goods. Um, but all of us are looking for the same thing in how do we maintain that level of flexibility um, and agility so that when issues arise, we, we have an alternative path to move around it. Um, and so that, I would say that's really the focus. The other, the other piece is all around you know, inventory availability. And I you know, mentioned this you know, a couple of times um, is making product available to as many customers as we possibly can. Um, whether that's in a centralized fulfillment center um, that you're feeding out to stores, putting it in stores and making it available for store fulfillment. Um, but, but, you know, being able to keep your inventory flexible um, so that you can, you know, sell it to the customer who wants to buy it when they want to buy it and get it to them, you know, as inexpensively as you possibly can. So when consumers go into stores and they do see empty shelves or don't find just what they want, the message is don't panic. You're you're on it. You're on top of it. I, I would say that 100 percent. But I also would say I feel like we're going to be um, in a pretty good position as we go into holiday with everything that we've done to maintain inventory flow. So I don't not expecting to see uh, empty shelves, uh, you know, within our business. And certainly the other thing I would say is, you know, if a customer walks in and can't find what they're looking for, there's always online. Um, and, you know, our fulfillment centers operate 24 seven. 
Uh, we, we ship products all over the United States and actually globally. Um, and so there's a lot of ways to get product um, and a lot of ways to satisfy, you know, what that customer is looking for. Um, and, you know, like I said, we've we've done a lot to make sure that we've got the inventory available for, for them when they walk in the store or when they get online uh, to be able to satisfy whatever it is they're trying to buy. We, uh, we just have a, a minute or two left uh, before we wrap up. Dennis, any closing thoughts? I, I think the one thing I heard you keep repeating is the importance of partners right through this. Uh, any other insights? Any key takeaways? Um, yeah, you know, I, I think I think there's a couple of things. One, partners are uh, really important, um, you know, part of the supply chain and building the right relationships with those partners. The other thing that I would I would throw out there is, you know, and it's a big part of our go forward Polaris strategy is really how do we modernize our supply chain and how do we continue to drive, you know, efficiency and, and productivity and, and allow ourselves uh, the opportunity is the business continues to grow to maintain that level of flexibility. So automation, um, you know, those types of things, uh, thinking differently about how we leverage stores from a fulfillment perspective um, are all pieces of what our go forward strategy is and that we're building out. Um, all focused on the same things of, you know, being efficient, being productive, but maintaining a high level of availability of inventory for customers uh, when when they're ready to purchase. Thank you. Uh, that was great. Uh, Evan, do you have any other closing thoughts? Anything else you want to add? No, th- this is good. It, I, I, I'm reassured. I've got two kids and they're, they're looking for Christmas to come. So uh, thank you, Dennis. Uh, thanks for letting us into your world a little bit here. I really appreciate it, Evan. And, you know, I would tell you, make sure you tell them Santa's going to be at Macy's. Okay. Boys, we have apparel, we have everything that you need. So we, 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 Santa will be coming and he'll be on time. Okay, you heard it first here. Uh, Thank you uh, to Accenture, and thank you for listening today, and stay tuned for the next episode. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Ready, reset, grow. Accenture helps retailers around the globe embrace change to seize the future. Learn about the five imperatives of retail's responsible reset and how leading retailers are partnering with Accenture at Accenture.com forward slash retail.